your reality is spiritual. His truth is his truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Father, we ask that you just grant peace into our hearts in the midst of all the things that are going on in our lives, that this would be a time, Lord, that you be revealed. Have your way. Let your, let your word go out. Take over. We want to see you. We want to see your kingdom. Reveal yourself to us and reveal the kingdom that you've bestowed upon us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So let's see. So we've been, I, I shouldn't say we have been because it's actually been a few weeks. About three weeks ago, I think it was now, we began talking about the kingdom of God, the culture of Jesus's kingdom, that, that every kingdom, the culture is set by the king. Um, the citizens don't choose what the culture is going to be. The king does. And so we're either in alignment with the culture of the king or we're not, and that directly impacts our lives and how we glorify him and how he's glorified in us. Now, and I, I got to say, last week, Ron, of course, this is the filter I'm running everything Ron was preaching about, and wasn't that good? And he was talking about the culture of the kingdom. One of the things that he said that really impacted me, and I, I believe firmly it's a word from the Lord, but we are in a time when the Lord is advancing his glory, advancing his kingdom through nameless people. Not the famous, the upfront. He is revealing his glory through you, every one of you. Um, the, not the famous. That's, so that's the culture of his kingdom. I believe when, when the Lord was having Ron share that, I believe you were hearing something of the cult that is true about the culture of his kingdom. Do you believe that too? So there's an example. There are many examples we could go through where we're either thinking like he thinks or we're thinking some other way and then it's it's not the culture of his kingdom. Now he's got mercy for all of it. I'm certain that probably most of my thinking is not exactly like his. He's still working on me. But my prayer is that I am ever thinking like he thinks because I want him to be glorified. I want to participate in the blessing. You too? Okay, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that this morning. And the Lord put this on my heart just to start here. And I'm reading, and if you want to turn there, I'm reading in Luke chapter 12. Actually, I'm going to back up to 28 in light of what's going on and where we started our prayer this morning. Jesus is speaking, and he says, If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Did you hear that? He's crazy nuts in love with you that way. It's his good pleasure 
to give you the kingdom. And he says that in the context of the worries of this world, of the troubles, of all the things that you need. And so in other words, look, what's he saying? He says, seek the kingdom first. Okay, and then he'll add the things to you. So now, this was just put on my heart this morning. Do you want to add things to your life or fix the things in your life? Or would you rather he add things into your life and fix the things in your life? The question here really is, who do you want in charge? Now, I know that you're all here because you love the Lord, but there's a question here. Who do you want in charge? I've tried to fix the things in my life for too many years. I know where I stand. I I don't even want to touch it. I want the Lord to be in charge. And really, that's that's what it's about. Now, Now, here's what I think. We're going to move into some things here this morning that I believe he wants you to have. Um, But I think really the bottom line of what he's talking about here is he's actually telling us how to have him in charge, how we give him the freedom to move powerfully in our lives and be in charge. He says, seek the kingdom first and I add everything you need. So now I believe that he wants it to be incredibly practical. And I know you're probably sitting there and you're saying, um, I've read that scripture before, seek the kingdom first. And you're thinking, um, I want to seek the kingdom first. I want to be obedient in that. That I, I sort of want to challenge, what does that mean, really? I mean, do you have a practical handle on um how do you seek the kingdom first? What are, what are you seeking? Jesus, obviously. He is the kingdom. We seek Jesus, and that's how we seek the kingdom first. But I believe that he means for it to be incredibly practical, that you can actually walk in it. You can seek his culture. And we're going to look at one aspect of that this morning, make it practical in one particular way. One of the way, <laughs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into dangerous territory and it's an obedience thing. So I'm just saying, yes, Lord, and I'm going to go on and do this. The way I believe the Lord wants me to start this is we're going we're gonna to full front attack a false gospel that's going around in our world these days, okay? Now, even before I tell you what it is, I want to tell you this. Do you know that one of the primary strategies of our enemy is to take the true gospel and twist it just barely, and then the whole thing becomes a false gospel. Okay? So what I'm going to tell you is we're gonna, the way we're going to attack this is we're going we're gonna to name it, we're going to look at truth, and it's going to... I have a feeling that many of you are going to start to feel uncomfortable feelings, maybe even want to throw something at me. Don't. (laughs) Because I'm going to start saying things that you have heard in the context of a false gospel, and discernment in you is going to start going, "Uh uh-oh, what's he doing? Because you see what it is. A false gospel is like 99.9% true, and then you twist something and none of it's true anymore. 
And that's the strategy. It's to steal the most powerful things, the greatest blessings of your good God. That's the enemy's strategy to steal from you, to make you powerless and make you give up all the gift he wants to give you. Do you, do you know that? Do you believe that? Okay. So I'm going to talk this morning a little bit about the prosperity gospel that's going around. It's not new. Um, it kind of, you know, it revives through history, but it's as old. You can find it in here. <laughs> it's as old as when Jesus was walking around on the earth ministering in the flesh. But then that's going to lead us into something far deeper. I believe he wants you to leave this morning with a great handle on a new aspect of the culture of his kingdom that, that you understand in a deeper way, or maybe it'll be brand new. Um, so to begin, okay, go turn with me to Matthew 13 and verse 44. Jesus again. Apparently I love when Jesus is speaking. <laughs> Here it says again, and this is my favorite parable, a one-sentence parable. I, I love this. <laughs> again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It looks like a simple sentence, but it's so loaded. I'm just going to pull a couple of things in that sentence, okay? I'm going to ask you some questions that, that you can answer. Um, what is the treasure in the parable? The kingdom. The kingdom is the treasure named in that parable. And what does he do to get it? He sells everything he has. Now, in other words, I don't think that's saying you need to go out and sell your house and sell your car and um, sell your last pair of underwear in order to, right? It's the idea here is that there's nothing valued over it, right? There, there's nothing. The highest treasure, everything else is secondary to the highest treasure. That's how you get the kingdom. Okay, and that's why we're in a series now. That's, that's why I'm teaching on the culture of the kingdom. I believe that's why he's having me do it. Okay, everything else becomes secondary. Okay, now I'm going to throw this in. Did you know, and we're, I'm going to show you this in, in the scriptures, okay, too. So um, if you're kind of like, what is he talking about? I'm going to show you. But did you know that jealousy is a huge theme in the culture of the kingdom of God. In fact, a holy and a righteous one. Did you know that's part of your God's strategy all throughout the scriptures? He utilizes jealousy over the goodness of the Father's heart to draw people to himself. Have you seen that as you study? Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um. Go with me. Here's where you might want to throw something at me. But um, go with me to um, the third book of John. There's no chapter there, right? It's only one chapter. And we'll start right in verse 1. And I just want you to see um, <laughs> in the introduction to, the, to this letter um, some of the words that are spoken. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So, okay, so he's writing to someone whom he loves. Brotherly love here, okay? And he says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, 
just as your soul prospers. I'm just going to dig this really quick so I don't spend too much time, but I just want you to see that um, health and wealth (laughs) was just prayed for. There it is, health and wealth. Did anybody just get uncomfortable? Like, uh uh-oh, what's what's he going to do now? There it is, but I want you to notice the words. It says, just as your soul prospers, okay? So in other words, to the same measure, in like manner, as your soul prospers, he's, he's specifically praying to, this, to Gaius, whom he loves, that he would prosper, what? In things and in health. There it is, it's biblical. You see, the thing is, the heart of your father over you is good, even when Jesus was saying, seek the kingdom first, and these things are added, he is saying these things are added. You can trust him for that. His heart is good over you. He does mean for prosperity in health, in things, to be a part of your experience of the goodness of his heart. He means for that. Now, we know right now with what's going on and everything, we live in an age where he's also promised that there there is trial, there is trouble, there is trusting him through things. But his heart doesn't change. His heart is good over you. There are plenty of scriptures that say that his mind is to prosper you, is to make his face shine upon you, is to have good plans for you that he plans to bring about over you. Yes? You see, what happens with, a, and we're going to point out the difference, but what happens with a false gospel is that it makes, you, it makes us want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We almost resign ourselves to this place where we're like, well, we're supposed to suffer. You know, that's, that's what being a disciple of Jesus is. We're just, we're just supposed to suffer and, and we don't even ask. There are plenty of places in the Bible that say you do not, you know, I think of you do not have because you do not ask. Now you see, if you throw the baby out with the bathwater because of what some people are doing with the truth, you stop asking. (laughs) You stop having a full faith in the goodness of your father's heart over you. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I'm just going to I'm just going to finish this little part here by reading on in verse three. It says, for I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy. Now, look at what the greatest joy is. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. So, look, he just prayed for health, wealth, prosperity, health and things. I mean, prosperity and things, prosperity and health as your soul prospers. But he moves on to say, I have no greater joy than that, the, than that you walk in the truth, that you have the truth, right? As your soul prospers. There's the true gospel. God is chiefly concerned with the prosperity of your soul. And I believe um, if it goes at all according to plan, we're going to talk about that. A little bit. (laughs) Because we don't always go according to plan. (laughs) Now, quickly, I'm going to tell you something about me because I think that this is going to help us see. We're going to read an entire parable here in a minute. But I just want to tell you about me. I have one brother. 
So, and he's four years older than me, so I'm I'm the youngest kid in my family. And um, I grew up feeling like I was growing up in his shadow. See, I'm the kid who tried hard, did everything, you know, studied, was really good at school. I went on and got like, I think, like either three or four more degrees than he ended up getting and, and do perform and do everything right. I was growing up in that shadow. He's a star in the theater, a captain of the soccer team. And I grew up in the belief that that prosperity and well-being, the, the, the favor was for other people. It wasn't for me. And I, I really kind of, um, I, I think I spent most of my life in great unhealth thinking, um, thinking that um, if I do well enough, <laughs> if I earn it, if I achieve it, then I can have it. Whereas I, I watch folks like my brother and it seems like he didn't even try in school and yet, you know, he... He um, graduates college and he's buying homes and boats and toys. And I'm watching this as a young man, right? And now I've been through all kinds of healing. Now I look back and I know that even when I look back there, when I thought there was no favor, no prosperity over my life, I saw that he was preparing me for kingdom prosperity. In fact, that I even already had it and I didn't know. See, healing opens eyes. And I know now I'm actually going to read this list because I had to pray and think about it. I'd received the gifts of joy, of inner health, of deeply intimate relationships. I'm blessed with that. Now that's kingdom prosperity. Let me tell you, does he care about your finances? He does. But um, what, the, what do you think he's more concerned about? If you have deeply connected relationships of love or your finances? He cares about both. <laughs> Realized I've been given spiritual authority over darkness, the ability to command darkness to stop, and I've seen God bless it and do it. That's kingdom prosperity, okay? And um, authority to advance the kingdom. You understand those are two different things. The, the authority to stop something, the authority to advance something in power. That's kingdom prosperity. And yes, my needs and my wants, and now, um, like my brother, I've bought a house too. But it's funny, I was never allowed to have that until... It wasn't even really a concern anymore. I understood something about real prosperity. All right, I'm going to jump into the parable. I know most of you have read, probably even studied this before. This is Matthew 20, and we're going to start right in verse 1. And this is Jesus. Um revealing the culture of his kingdom, or what is my kingdom. Here in verse 1, it starts, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, a, a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, here's what I want you to say. I know I didn't even get started yet. I'll probably drive you nuts. But um, I just want you to see, you understand, that's, that's him going out to bless right? That's him going out saying, I'm going to give prosperity to some people. Um, think of unemployment lines in our country right now. 
that's going to begin to talk about people who are standing idle, who need a job. This is a parable of the unemployment, <laughs> okay, who, who need prosperity. So he's, he goes out. In verse 2 it says, Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Maybe I'll read more than one line before I talk again soon, but <laughs> I want you to notice something right now. With these first people, these first people that go into the vineyard, he makes a very black and white contract or covenant with them. He tells them exactly what they're going to get for exactly what they do. What's the reward or the pay for what you're going to do? A denarius a day, which is a day's wage, which is what's right, okay? We're going to contrast that in a minute. So hold that. Okay, verse 3. It says, And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. You see the difference? There's no concrete contract made there. He says, whatever is right, I'll give you. So I want you to notice something. This second group, and we're going to see, I believe it's a third and a fourth. I think there are that many groups. All the rest of these groups have to go in to the vineyard, the, the kingdom, the representation of the kingdom in the story. They go into the vineyard and they have to have a degree of trust. He never says what he's going to give them. They, they go into the vineyard with trust that he's going to do what's right. Okay? That's different than the first group. So, so they went. And again, he, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. You see, so all the latter groups have to have a degree of trust. Now, verse eight, it says, so when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Now, I want you to notice something. This is a detail that you can't skip. He doesn't just say, bring them in and pay them. He doesn't just say, bring everybody in and give them all a denarius for the day. <laughs> Do you see that? He specifically says, pay the last first going down to the first. He wants it done specifically this way. Why does he want it done this way? You find out when we read on. It goes on. Okay, verse 9, it says, And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, listen, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. Do you hear what they supposed? We're going to see a kingdom culture thing here, so really pay attention. They supposed that they would get more. Why? Because they worked longer. They'd worked through the hard part, the heat of the day. They were thinking they'd earned more. Verse 11, And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner. Now we're going to find out what he thinks about this complaint. 
They complained, saying, The last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? You're going to get your contract. He says, Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my my own things? I want you to really hear these next words. Or is your eye evil because I am good? Now I want you to see this. Let's just back up for a second. You understand that the reason he paid the last of the first, why? Because jealousy (laughs) is a strategy in God's hand. Jealousy over the goodness of his heart. Why does he prosper us? Why does he make good plans for us? Good plans for you. Because he loves you. He wants you to participate in the good things of God. And he utilizes jealousy for the advancement of the kingdom. It's cover to cover in this book. If you're doubting me, go read this. (laughs) In fact, I hope to show you how that's his epic plan with the Jewish people before I'm done, even. And if it's true epically, right? The nature of God is the nature of God. He is who he is. So if it's true epically in his historical plan, it's it's true in your life personally, right? He means to make you the, the, the place of the glory of God, the place of the favor of God, the place of God's prosperity, so that others look and, and see the goodness of the Father's heart and they're provoked. Is that right? And that's what we're reading in this parable, okay? He purposely provokes by granting his favor on the latter so that the former, who didn't realize they were even recipients of favor, are provoked to jealousy. Okay? Now I want to show you something even even more important to see in this. And that is, is that, and and you've got to get this. It ends by saying, or is your eye evil because I am good? Now what's going on there? What is it in their perspective that makes them miss the heart of God so dramatically? Do you know what it is? Do you see it? They actually think the goodness, the favor of the landowner, the prosperity that he gives has something to do with their performance. And it's called, it's evil. In this parable, he says, is your eye evil because I am good? You see what this is telling us? It's telling us he is good. That's it. He has a good heart. He will do, he will shower his goodness, his favor, his prosperity, his love, regardless of your performance. I want to tell you what makes a prosperity gospel false. the very moment it's attached to something that has anything to do with you. (laughs) He does not bless you because of your goodness. Anybody screw up really bad this week? Anybody bomb it? Okay? 
I've got good news for you. (laughs) His love over you has nothing to do with your own goodness. He will withhold no blessing or prosperity because you bombed it. Why does he shower his love and his prosperity and his blessing and his favor over you? Because he's good. And because he, yeah, both answers are right. Because he's good. See, is your eye evil? Because I'm good, I'll do what I wish to do over people that I love. For those that come at the very last second, I have the exact same blessing for him. Unmerited, uncontained, everything. That's what I have for you. The whole blessing is for all of you. Whether whether you performed well or you barely performed at all. It's the goodness of God. And I got to do this. Last week, um, Ron, because I got to pull in what Ron Ron did because it was so good. He was talking about how um, some of the giants of the faith of the past, um, basically, and correct me if I got this wrong, but they were said the gospel... Um, without prosperity or without authority, without power. So in other words, telling the truth without the authority and the power of the truth is actually harmful. It's not the gospel. Actually, I think what you said is it's not the gospel. (laughs) It's like the shadow of good news, but it's not actually the body of good news to people. Is that right? Okay, I'm just going to talk about this for a minute because um, I know that if, I believe God wants us to see what prosperity is because I don't want someone to walk out of here thinking that, I don't know, it's just saying that if someone else has a, you know, a $10 million home, then that's what he means for you to have. I'm not talking about, he is concerned about your finances but and and your health and all that, but that's not even what I'm talking about. You see, all of that is just is just a natural, it's a shaking thing. For some people, it, it might burn today. And uh, it doesn't mean that God's heart has changed over them. He still has good plans for them. His love for them is the same. He's still going to, his intention is that their soul is going to prosper, and yours too, right? So I'm going to talk about this. What's prosperity? Kingdom prosperity, his culture. It's um, you know, foremost, it's joy in the midst of pain. You want to talk about provoke people <laughs> to the goodness of the Father's heart? When you're in the deepest of pain and you're still exhibiting joy and they look and they go, how do you do that? And you go, I don't. <laughs> I can't. It's the gift of God. I don't do that. Or faith in the midst of discouraging circumstances. How do you do that? <laughs> I don't do that. I'm blown away like you are, <laughs> right? Uh, love in the midst of being wronged, okay? Forgiveness, there's a central theme of the, of the culture of the kingdom of God. Forgiveness, when you, can, when you can love someone who wrongs you, okay, that's not of this world. In fact, forgiveness in this world is not even biblical forgiveness, okay? Forgiveness in this world is when we can kind of figure out um, how to make it okay or move on as if it didn't happen, (laughs) you know, or or make it right some other way, and that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is extended, unmerited love 
for the sake of love. (laughs) Having authority in a powerless world, that's prosperity in the kingdom of God. When you can walk up and bring things into the submission of Jesus' name on the behalf, under the name of the king on the behalf of other people who need their situation, their, their marriage, their, their, their finances, their work, their health, and you, uh, and you can bring it into the submission of Jesus' name. You talk about provoke people to jealousy over the goodness of the Father's heart and his kingdom. That's what he wants for us. Do you believe that? I hope so, because that, that's what this says. He means for you to be a carrier of, of the Spirit of God. You are, you are the temple of the power of God in this place. Where you walk, the power of God goes to bring things into submission to the kingdom. So I appreciate it. I forget who someone prayed today with extreme authority <laughs> over what's going on with the fire. And I was just, I was like, that's the prayer I've been waiting for. <laughs> you see, God wants it to be that people are jealous over the favor in your life's efforts. Now, don't get mad at me. I didn't just say that there aren't seasons. Obviously, there are seasons. There are times where God is plowing. In fact, I think I've been in the plowing phase for the vast majority of my life. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of plowing. There, there are seasons that follows harvest seasons. But he means for people to be jealous over the unmerited favor where, where he just showers in success over the good plans he has for you in your life. That jealousy provokes them to the heart of God. And do not let a false gospel that's going around steal from you that you are hoping in the Lord for that outpouring, for that favor over your endeavors for him, to bring him glory, to live a life that provokes to jealousy. Pray for that, ask for that, hope for that, believe that it's coming. The false gospel that wants to twist it into something that you do in your own effort to earn it cannot steal from you that the Father's heart over you is good. Amen? He wants people to be jealous over your marriage. I had a really terrible marriage for how many years? Nine. (laughs) Most. (laughs) More terrible years than good ones. I know that's accurate. So far, yeah, no, we're going to totally tip the scale now. We're we're jamming. God's jamming. But see, it was God's intention. Now I know that we are in relationship with other folks here and there where they're provoked by the presence of God that he sees in my marriage. Thank you, God. It has nothing to do with me. He means for people to be jealous over the love and unity and oneness and and spiritual authority and power. What you wield out of your oneness He wants people to be jealous over that so that they're provoked to the goodness of the heart of the Father. That's what he means for you. Don't stop asking him and believing for that because there are people out there preaching a false prosperity gospel. His heart is prosperity over you in your marriage. Amen? 
He wants people to be jealous over your peace and stability and over your health. I get it. There's hard seasons, and and this is not... um, He's coming back, and we're waiting for that. And there's going to be the last illness and the last tear, and it's going to be done. But don't stop asking for what you need. It may or may not come in the timing you want it. I'll promise you this. He's given you a new body. So I promise you it is for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I believe I heard that this morning. He is going to perfect your body. But I want to tell you this. Don't stop asking and believing in the goodness of the Father's heart over your body. It's his temple. He cares about it. And if we can return to belief, you'll be blown away how many times he will bring the blessing over the temple. Uh, Some of the scriptures say, "Let, let the weak say I'm strong. I don't even know where it is right now. You see, he, he loves to turn it upside down. Why? He loves to do it upside down. Let the weak say they're strong. The barren woman is the one who bears, who bears the continuation of the lineage that will bring about the salvation of the world. The second son is the one who takes the inheritance. You see, it's, it's jealousy. It's the epic I told you I was going to do this. Okay, let me do this. It's the epic story because I don't want anybody walking out of here saying I told you something that's not his truth, that's not biblical, just because I talked about his prosperity this morning. (laughs) You know, God owns everything. And it's ridiculous to throw out the idea of prosperity because some people have twisted the truth concerning it. Okay, so look with me. Okay, I better skip. Okay. Romans chapter 10. We'll start in verse 14. Okay, we're reading about his epic plan. And you understand that your life is part of his epic plan. His nature is his nature. So when you see truth, it, it applies to the epic history and it applies to your life, to your house, your family, your kids, your church, your job, okay? His, na- he does, his nature is his nature. His good heart is his good heart, and he's crazy in love with you. Did I mention that already? Okay, you're part of the plan. Here in verse 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? This is speaking of Israel, okay? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? Now here's why we're reading this. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Now I'm going to keep going, so keep your finger there. But remember, what is peace? This is not talking about the world's peace, like, oh, put on some yoga music, I feel great. This is not that. This is... This is peace with God, okay? This is the restoration of favor over someone's life. That peace, okay? Shalom, Max, thank you. (laughs) That's it. God's peace. (laughs) Who bring glad tidings of good things. Do you know what good things really translates as? Say what? Good news. But this, this is literally benefits. 
So here it, here it is again. They, other people can twist it all they want, but God's heart is for good thing, for you to actually enjoy the benefits. <laughs> That's his heart. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. I'm starting to wonder if I'm reading the right now. It's coming. Here it says, their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? Now listen what comes next. It says, first Moses says, speaking of Israel, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Now I'll tell you something. This is, this is tying to everything we've been talking about. Look, who's the foolish nation? <laughs> we're, we're the foolish nation. Why foolish? You understand, again, this is like, peace that we were just talking about a minute ago. You understand, um, this is biblical foolishness. This isn't just like, well, boy, that person makes a lot of bad decisions. It's not just that. Biblical foolishness, foolishness in God's economy, is any thinking that is contrary or apart from God. Okay, that's biblical foolishness. It can be incredibly wise, so to speak. And be biblical foolishness, because it's not God's thinking. Does that make sense? It's not the way he thinks. It's not his culture. Do you know that you didn't seek God first? You know that, right? He came and found you, the fool, who had no, who had none of his thinking. You were, um, and I'll include, let, let me say we. We were nothing but foolishness. Only foolishness. And he came and got you. <laughs> and it's his plan that us, who were nothing but foolishness, would provoke, what does it say? I will provoke you to jealousy by those, by you. Okay? It's his epic plan. Um, and Isaiah goes on and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. There it is. (laughs) Now you might have an experience where you you see a season of your life back there where you started seeking God and and he manifests to you. But you understand, even the fact that you started seeking, the the word of God says that only those who are drawn by the Father. So he, he saw it first. And it actually, if you want to keep reading, I'm going to stop so I don't get in trouble. We still have to have the Lord's Supper. Um, in fact, if the worship team wants to begin, come on up. Um, if you keep reading in Romans chapter 11, it will keep talking about jealousy. Just so that you can verify that I didn't make anything up this morning. And jealousy is a very big deal to God. He wants to provoke people by his glory, his favor over your life. So it's okay. The word of God says it. Go ahead and believe it. He wants to shower you with love and favor so that people are provoked over jealousy of the goodness of his heart. Not because you're good, because he's good. Um, 
So um, we're going to begin to have the Lord's Supper. And in just a minute, um, I'm going to have you um, come up and serve yourself. Actually, let me move this to the middle. Hopefully I don't cause a disaster. I just want to give you a few thoughts. You know, I know that you know it's by the grace of God that you have anything. In fact, that is the definition of the favor of God. Unmerited grace, giving good things, giving you a future, giving you life, abundant life, the reason Jesus came. I want to challenge you that um, it is so easy. It's actually our natural mode to slip back into performance thinking. To begin to think that his love over us or his favor or his planned prosperity or his good plans or his health over us has something to do with how well we do. And I know that he wants to heal us in that place. He wants to change that thinking. He wants you to know the culture of his kingdom where his favor and his grace are completely unmerited. It's completely inspired by love, no matter how bad you bomb it. So if you've had a hard year or if you bombed it this week, <laughs> he wants you to know that when that you're not invited to this table because you've earned it. And you're not invited to this table because he's decided you've done something that makes you worthy. He's done what makes you worthy. He freely invites you to this table because he's been crazy about you, crazy in love, and always will be from the foundation of the world. And I want to share one more thing with you. Uh, when Jesus sat down at the Passover, he had a very important thing to share with his disciples. Now, in their culture, you have to understand... In their culture, they would have a meal, and what they would do is um, they would have the meal first, and it would be at the conclusion of the meal that the master of the house would bring out the most important reason for the gathering. It was their culture. In some cases, we still do it that way. And after the meal was over, after he'd sat down with the disciples, Jesus said, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. That's past tense. He's bestowed that kingdom on you freely. He bestows it as a gift. You're invited to this table because his heart is good. So I invite you, if it blesses you, if you so choose, if you so choose, ask the Lord to reveal to you what keeps you from just accepting it freely. What keeps drawing you back? I know there's an area, if you're anything like me, there's an area of your life where you're always drawn back to putting it on your performance. 
on your good behavior or what you're accomplishing. And he wants you to be completely free. He wants you to completely enjoy the culture of the kingdom to the fullest extent where you ever have a complete assurance that you're always invited to this table just because his heart over you is good.